Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Well, hey everyone, my name is Ron, and it is so good to be together today. My hope and prayer is that this message, this talk will land and it will speak to your heart and bring about some transformation in your life. Well, today is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday we celebrate the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, heading to the cross. He would eventually hang on a cross, be buried, and rise three days later. On Palm Sunday, he rode into the, into Jerusalem on a donkey, and as the crowds cheered and celebrate, celebrated, they praised him and they worshipped him. It's recorded that they laid branches down before him, symbolizing his triumphant entry, entry into the city and the victory. But what is so fascinating about Palm Sunday is that the same crowd would eventually flip and begin to chant, crucify him, crucify him, just a few days later. What is also incredible about this is that this moment was actually spoken about by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9.9. Look what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is his. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. Such an important reality for us as we consider this week leading into our Easter celebration next Sunday. Well, as we prepare for next Sunday and our celebration, I thought I'd take a few moments to kind of go deep on the heart of Jesus and to understand how Jesus feels about people. Everything about Jesus' life was done with intent and to reveal something about who he was and what he came to do. So when you read about Jesus' life you have and his work, you have to step into the moment and ask yourself, what is this telling me about Jesus? What is this revealing about the kingdom of heaven? What truth is being extracted from this moment so that we can apply it to our lives? And what is it telling us about who we are? I want to take you to John chapter 4. Now, you may have a Bible in your hand, or maybe you've got an app on your phone, and if you don't, that's okay, because I'm, gonna, I'm going to put the, the section up on the screen for us. Jesus had many interactions with people, and we can read about them, and study about them, and ponder them. The moment in John chapter 4 is the longest recorded interaction that Jesus had with anyone. It feels almost, it feels like an entire chapter. And I want to spend some time looking at this with you. I'm going to read the first, uh, actually first 15 verses of John chapter four. And so it's going to be a lengthy read. And so if you need to stretch out, you know, relax, do what you need to do, kind of get the, you know, settle in moment. And I want to read it for you. It's found in John chapter four. And I want you to imagine just stepping into this space. It says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. 
So we came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water dwelling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We have to take a moment or two to dive into who this woman is to better understand the story and the context of what is happening here. So who is the Samaritan woman? We know a few things about her from this and we begin to understand some deeper realities of who she is. See, the tension in the moment for us is the fact that there's tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. They often didn't interact with each other. You have to go all the way back to just after an Old Testament king named Solomon, where God's kingdom was split into two. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. It was in this scenario, in the wickedness and evil times, that the people of God were taken captivity by the Assyrians. And we see that what happened was some of the Israelites intermarried with the Assyrians. And this is where you have the Samaritans emerge. These people were half Jew, half Gentile. And for hundreds of years, there was hatred and division that you can track back all the way to 722 BC. The woman at the well was a descendant of this mixture of Jew and Gentile. So we begin to realize that there's already tension in the story between Jesus being a Jew and this woman being a Samaritan. But we also recognize there's some other pieces of the story that are absolutely essential for us. See, she comes to the well to draw water at noon hour. Now, this is very telling. Women never drew water in the heat of the day. This was not prime time water drawing. They would arrive early in the morning or late in the afternoon. They did whatever they could to avoid the scorching hot sun. This encounter that they would have early in the morning or late in the afternoon was very much a social interaction. There would be conversations that happened, friendships that would have grown. They would have even probably shared the news of the town. It was kind of like the social media of the day. This nameless woman, known as the Samaritan woman, is not part of the regular group, which means she is relationally alone and socially unwelcome at the well with the other women. Some writers would define her as an outcast, excluded, made fun of, shamed for her life choices. 
we can see later in the conversation with Jesus that she was married five times and the man that she was living with right now was not her husband. She's going at noon to protect herself from being reminded by everyone that she is not welcome, even by those from her own community. I can only imagine how deep this wounds, these wounds are. The place in her soul that is shriveling up because of the reality of how she's been treated by those who are supposed to be part of her community. She risks the heat of the day so that she's not reminded that she is not welcome. She's in deep pain and loneliness. This woman is doing whatever she can to avoid others, to protect herself. She's put walls up. And my hunch is that she's been experiencing fear of those people. As I was putting this talk together, a moment in my life came back to me. It reminded me of something from a long, long time ago. When I was in high school, I walked the halls of my high school in fear. See, I lived in Heartland, New Brunswick area when I was a teenager, and uh, I played sports in Heartland, like I played minor hockey there, but I went to high school in Woodstock, New Brunswick, and so playing for Heartland, we would play against the Woodstock minor hockey team, and there was an incident in a hockey game where there was a, a guy in the stands that had accused me of doing something that I didn't do. And he wanted to fight me. And after the game in the arena parking lot, a big fight broke out between me and him and a couple other players. And it was a scenario that I had not thought about in a long time. Because for three months after that scenario, because I went to school in Woodstock, Woodstock High School, with this guy, I walked the halls in fear. I did everything I could to avoid this guy. Human beings... We have this way of hurting each other, abusing each other, creating fear, excluding. The woman avoided others likely because every time she saw them, she was reminded that she was not good enough. Maybe you can think of something in your own life that maybe you're you're ashamed of, right? Something that maybe you hide from others. A wounding word that someone has spoken to you. A painful choice of your past that you made in the heat of the moment. And now you're carrying it in secret. Or maybe you've become really good at protecting yourself, right? You've avoided certain people in certain situations. I know even for some, coming to church is hard. Because you were hurt in your past by someone in a church. Maybe it was a church leader. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was someone who said they had uh, something from God and you've been hurt by that. It's so difficult. The walls have been erected in our lives because we refuse to be hurt again, right? It's the buffer we create. See, I think you're, you're getting a little bit of what this woman was feeling. Maybe a bit of guilt. Maybe some shame. Fear, isolation, self-condemnation. It's all wrapped up in this moment as this woman makes her way at noon to draw water from the well in the scorching hot sun. But what is so beautiful is that this is going to change just like this. Let me read it for you again. John chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... I love the fact that he adds in, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only the disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. 
and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, this is an amazing moment. We're going to extract some truth from this. John records for us that Jesus left Judea and was heading to Galilee, and he passed through Samaria, which is in the middle. Now, remember, there's tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. They avoid each other, right? Like the plague. Like they didn't want to be near each other. That religious tension was there. Jesus should have taken a different route to avoid Samaria so that he would not have to interact with the Samaritans. The three regions I mentioned to you are literally stacked on one another. You have Judea, you have Samaria, and you have Galilee. And what a a Jew would typically do, if they were going from one to the other, they would cross the Jordan River, go up around the middle region, and then back over. Now, it was a longer route, but they were willing to make that happen because they did not want to encounter Samaritans. But there's a line that John records for us that I hope you picked up. It's verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through. Jesus was intentional with the passage to Galilee. Why? I believe, and many others feel the same way, is that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to cross this region to encounter this woman at the well. I love this so much. Jesus was never worried about social, religious, or even political differences. He was willing to step into a moment for the sake of the person that needed to encounter him. Jesus never had a random encounter. This was a divine appointment with this woman. I mean, step into this with me. She was going about her day, staying safe from all those who have rejected her. She's alone, isolated, fearful, and she steps towards the well, and there is a man sitting there resting, and he looks at her, and he speaks to her, and he says, can I have a drink of water? Now, knowing Jesus a little bit, we know this is a setup. He's doing this to break the ice in the conversation. Her response is so pointed. How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a woman of Samaria, for water? This statement is loaded. He was a stab- We've already established a religious tension, but we must also understand that there's a, a, a social, no, um, a, you know, social thing going on here too, which is a man speaking to a woman. Women in this day were not valued, respected, treated often as property. Men often only used women for their own purposes and their own gain. Men treated her terribly. And here is a man, a Jewish man nonetheless, speaking to her. What was this revealing to us about Jesus? We have to examine this in order to understand the depth of what is going on. See, I believe that we see here in this, in this moment is that Jesus is demonstrating a deep love for those who carry a burden of shame and guilt. And he won't let anything get in the way of revealing his love for them. You know, the, the image I have is this woman with her head down, exhausted from the heat of the sun, Maybe she's got, you know, the two buckets strapped over her shoulders, ready to be filled with the water from the well. These buckets span over her shoulders. She's carrying them, but they're filled with the heaviness of a soul that is dehydrated and a heart that is broken. 
Jesus sees beyond that these religious and social tensions and steps into this woman's life to show us and to demonstrate us that he is for those who are defined as those people. See, the Samaritan woman is us. It's me. It's you. Here's why I believe this is important for us to get as we set up for the Easter weekend. For some of us, this is new, but for others of this, this is a little bit of a kick in the butt. I hope it's, hopefully it's okay I can say that in church. Often what happens with someone that has been a follower of Jesus for a long time, or has maybe grown up in church, or maybe had some sort of religious experience as a kid, or maybe as a baby, or you've been to Sunday school, or you haven't really been in much trouble. We often fall for the trap that Jesus loves us because we're decent human beings. We may look at our lives and we compare it to someone else who's really messed up, right? Or maybe bad choices that they've made. Or we look and we say, well, at least we're not as bad as that person, right? So obviously God must love me. Here's a reality check for us. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 10. Let me read it for you. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life." I hope this lands today for us. Did you hear the words? Weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. The state in which we were in before we knew Jesus. Palm Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem for one reason, to go to the cross for us, to take our sin upon himself. He went to the cross for the weak, the ungodly, the sinners, the enemies of God. I need you to hear my words. You will never be good enough to make Jesus love you any more than he does. There's nothing bad that you will do that will even change his deep love for you. There's no dem- no greater demonstration of God's love than through the person of Jesus Christ dying for those who are classified as enemies of God. See, Paul reveals here that we deserve the wrath of God as enemies of God. But thankfully, Christ has stepped into that gap and has offered us a path of reconciliation with God. The word in Christian circles in which we see even demonstrated here by Paul is the word saved, which means we are saved from the wrath of God because of the person of Jesus Christ, because of his blood that covers us. See, sometimes we have this false understanding of God that he's like this grandfatherly figure that's in the sky sitting on his throne looking at us with a big white beard and kind of tapping us on the head going, oh, everything's okay because I love you. That's not really what he does. But the reality is, is that he's a God who is a God of holiness. He's a just God and therefore he demands payment And the wrath of God will one day 
be poured out on the wickedness and evil of this world. Easter is revealing this wonderful truth that Jesus is providing a way to be made right with God through his life, death, and resurrection. The reason why I believe I needed to say this today is for some of us it's a reminder, for others of us it's a deep truth, is that so often we become prideful in our faith. It's something that can happen to us and we need to step back and realize that none of us, none of us deserve this grace offered to us by Jesus. It's so easy to behave like the, like the women that would have been at the well earlier in the morning or who would show up late in the day. We must see ourselves in the light of once being enemies of God, creating room for others to meet him. Now, we need to scoot back to the well encounter with Jesus because there's so much here that we have to unpack. We can't ignore the water conversation. Jesus asks for a drink, right? Which is a total setup, which we've already established, because he wants to talk about a different kind of water. So this is water cooler banter at the well, okay? Let me read two verses, verses uh, 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She comes to the well expecting water to fill her buckets but discovers a different kind of water that will fill her soul. Jesus speaks to the deeper part of who she is. It's the need she has in her heart and her soul where she is the most thirsty. This woman has so many things going against her. She's been married five times. She's lived with the guy she's with. She's a Samaritan. She's at the well in the heat of the day. And Jesus meets her where she is at and speaks to the deeper part of who she is and says, I have a water that will spring forth from your being and will satisfy that thirst within you. Here's a man demanding nothing from her, but offering her everything. See, the temptation for us in this moment is to think, Jesus, you should address her mess, right? I mean, think about that. Like, you know there's a bunch of stuff here that are out of alignment with how God desires us to live. Jesus, you need to deal with that. But oftentimes, we must realize is that Jesus rarely, if ever, deals with the correction with an encounter like this. He will always show grace and compassion and kindness And out of those moments, create space for transformation. It often happens right away. We see different encounters of this in the the New Testament where someone encounters Jesus and there's almost like an instant transformation. The, The reaction is so powerful. But then there's others that take a progression of time of transformation. Like I think of Peter every time, the disciple Peter. Like the dude was like, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll die for you. I'll do whatever for you. And then just a few days later, you know, at his crucifixion, at Jesus' crucifixion, Peter's like swearing out. I don't know Jesus. I, I I don't know who he is. Like you're, you got the wrong guy. Like we are all in process. See, Jesus gives room 
for those who are in process. It's a progression. You can watch the story progress all the way through it as John captures for us what happens. But then this is the most unbelievable part of the story. Because what ends up happening is this woman begins to understand who Jesus is. She has this life-altering encounter with him. He even speaks into the moment of, you know, her confessing the five husbands and living with the dude she's with. But look what happens next. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. She goes, listen to this, she goes from hiding in shame to inviting others to see the man who knows everything about her. Now, that's not true, right? All Jesus knows about her is the confession of the five husbands and the dude she's with right now. But she feels like he knows everything about her, and she feels no shame. She feels no guilt, and she can't help but go tell others. She goes to the ones that she hides from and says, come and see a man. He might be the Christ. He might be the Messiah. So they go out and they see Jesus. And it's recorded for us that many believe. But then this verse, verse 42, one that I didn't read for you. We're jumping way down in the section. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They believed because of her. They came to see Jesus, and they believed for themselves. This woman who kept everybody at a distance, who lived in fear and shame and guilt, who was never enough, now becomes the voice piece of transformation and acceptance and love of Jesus in other people's lives. She was alone, filled with shame, and she had this life-transforming experience. See, maybe the church needs to not be as focused on trying to always be right or consumed with protecting truth. Maybe we need to take the attitude of this woman and show people who Jesus is and let the Spirit of God shape the outcomes of truth. See, here's my hot take on this right now in this world. The more confusing the world becomes with truth, the more truth the church needs to hold out Jesus as the one who satisfies the dry and thirsty souls of the world. Because what will happen is this. The more people realize that the water of the world never satisfies, we, the people of Jesus, the church, hold out a water source that will satisfy the soul and the heart and there will be an overflow of the presence of Jesus. The darker this world gets and the more confused state it becomes, the brighter the message of Jesus Christ begins to shine forth that will never end. It leads to everlasting life. So as we close, let me ask you this. Where do you see yourself in the story? Where do you see yourself? Who can you identify with? Are you the person like that's filled with shame and guilt? Have you isolated yourself? It's very possible today that through the story, 
Jesus has sat down at the well and said, let me give you everlasting living water that can spring forth from your life. You no longer have to search. You no longer have to protect yourself. You can step into this place and you will find water for your soul. Or are you like the women who came early in the morning or late in the day? That reminds others that they're never enough. That there's shame. There's isolation. Or will you be like the, the newly revised woman at the well? I love that. Newly revised woman who runs back to town and says, Come and see the one who knows everything about me. Come and see the one who changed my life. See, it's possible right now that Jesus is meeting you. Even as I speak, even as these words come into your ears, you experience this moment, you recognize that there is something internally going on because there's been a divine appointment that Jesus was passing through and he saw you and he sat down and he waited for you. And today's that day where you step into that moment where you recognize that yes, Jesus is the one who will ultimately satisfy the thirst of my soul. This is an incredible story. It reminds us so much of who Jesus is and the love that God has for us. It tells us who we are as we see ourselves in this moment. But what is so beautiful is that it is a story of reconciliation. It is a story of redemption. It is a story of new life. It is a story that can be ours. It can be yours as it is mine. May God continue to speak to you. May God open your ears. May he open your eyes and your mind and your heart. The truth that emerges out of the story as we step into this week thinking about what Jesus was ultimately going to do on Easter weekend. To hang on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, and to three days later rise again from the dead conquering sin and death so that you and I may be right with God and reconciled with the Father. 